Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Thank you, Steve. I'm really happy to be here with Deborah Mechanic, and she is going to be a guest on Financially Ever After, focusing specifically today on a topic that is really important to her, also an important topic for myself. And that is the importance of approaching financial decisions during divorce, during divorce dispassionately. And you may be wondering, what does that really mean? You may be wondering, how do I even do that? Well, don't worry. We're going to be going through all of that and more today. But let me give you a little bit more information and background on Deborah. She's an attorney, but also a social worker, which gives her a lot of understanding and additional skills to be able to help her clients going through what for many is a, a very traumatic process. She's also licensed uh, to practice here in New York State. Deborah graduated from Columbia University School of Social Work, as well as Pace University School of Law. As founder of DLM Divorce Mediation, Deborah responds to the call for a more peaceful approach to separation and divorce. Prior to establishing DLM Divorce Mediation, Deborah served as pro bono supervising attorney at a New York City nonprofit organization, helping domestic violence survivors obtain final judgments of divorce against their former abusers. Deborah was instrumental in teaching law student interns about the special needs of domestic violence survivors and how to service them with the skills needed for of empathy, compassion, and competence. Deborah is very active in the matrimonial community. She serves on the New York City Bar Matrimonial Committee and is an active member at numerous prominent organizations, including the New York County Lawyers Association, the New York State Bar Association, as well as the New York State Council on Divorce Mediation. Deborah, it's fantastic to have you here. Thank you. Stacy, thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to speak with you and your guests about an extremely important topic, as you said. Approaching divorce dispassionately, what do I mean by that? Well, Stacy, that might actually sound like an oxymoron. So how does one make well-reasoned, logical decisions when they're in the midst of what arguably is one of the most emotionally traumatic experiences that one can possibly go through. And so what I'd like to talk with you and your guests a little bit about today is how to compartmentalize this entire process of divorce Mm -hmm. in a way that is manageable and almost in a way that 
breaks it down into pieces that make sense. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really talking about here is a dispassionate approach to financial decisions. And how do we do that? So the reason that I am so enamored with the idea of helping my clients approach financial decisions dispassionately is because I bring 30 years of social work experience to Mm -hmm. my law practice. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for my clients? What that means is that not only do I help them achieve the divorce, the legal divorce that they're looking for, but I can also bring a sense and degree of compassion and understanding for what they are going through Mm -hmm. because I understand the clinical dynamic of family relationships. Mm -hmm. And so really the message that I think we should discuss a little further is as professionals helping people through divorce, the way to help someone, particularly women, I think we would all agree that women tend to be more emotional than men. When I know. I definitely am. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you've seen that in your practice, as have I. Um, and I think the key here is in order to help women be dispassionate, we have to show them compassion. So by being compassionate ourselves, the women receive that nurturing, that understanding, and the compassion that they need, and the strength that they need to be able to put the emotion aside just for a little bit, Mm -hmm. and come up with a well-reasoned and logical understanding of what they need Mm -hmm. with regard to finances and divorce. Do you see women um, rushing through the process because they want to just get it done with and sometimes making mistakes or, you know, taking what's being offered because it's such a painful place to continue to be in? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Stacy. And there are a couple of mistakes that I have seen in my practice that women make. And I'd like to highlight it. I would love to hear because that's what we're all about here on Financially Ever After. You know, tell us what we shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because for many women uh, going through this divorce process, they've never been through anything like it. Um, It's their first time, usually. Not only have they never been through anything like it, but they never imagined that they would be sitting there having yeah. to make these decisions. Yeah. So let me highlight for you and your guests a few things that I have noticed in my practice um, that that women should be should look out for. The first thing is that we should caution our clients not to make financial decisions based on what they think their spouse will agree to. I have seen this over and over again. 
where rather than formulating a statement in their mind about what they need Mm -hmm, and if mm -hmm. there are children, what they and their children need, they are trying to anticipate and predict what proposal, what financial proposal that they will put on the table will their spouse agree to. Why? Because they're afraid, quote, to make trouble. They want to get through this process, to your point, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And in many women's minds, the way to do that is to bypass their own needs and go straight to what what they think their husband's needs are. (laughs) And then they sit back and they realize when the agreement is drafted, hold on a second, I, I was not actually stating what I needed. I got to the end of this process, mm-hmm. but I came out of it a loser mm-hmm. because I wasn't thinking in a well-reasoned, logical way about what I need. So it, what I'm hearing you say, Deborah, is one of the mistakes you've seen is women thinking about what will he give me, not instead what do I really need and what do the kids need? And then finding themselves in a, in a situation where they're, they're towards the end of this process and this, that, that number doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And in addition to, I guess we could say rushing through it just to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a second mistake that I've noticed a lot of women making. And that is that when a couple is in the midst of a negotiation, whether in mediation, which is a direct negotiation between themselves, or even in court, where their lawyers are their surrogate negotiators, one of the biggest mistakes that we see is that a woman will argue why she should quote win we hear that word win in the legal context over and over again and what does that mean that means that there's a prize whether that prize is custody of the child whether that prize is the home Mm -hmm. whether that prize is a two million dollar payout so what i see women doing is arguing to a judge, arguing to a mediator, arguing to whoever will listen why she should win. A better approach, and again, I'm using the same words for a reason, well-reasoned and logical. A better approach is for her to present a statement. So let's use the word statement rather than argument. Mm -hmm. And that statement should talk about what is best for me, Mm -hmm. what is best for my children, and then follow that with an explanation and a well-reasoned evidence of why. Mm -hmm. Of why. Yep, yep. So there's a fine distinction between wanting to win something and presenting a statement of what you need and backing it up 
completely different. Completely different. And that's an important distinction that I'd like to bring to your attention and the attention of your guests, because it is a more effective way of getting what you need. And if you think about it, the argument, the quintessential argument in court that we all envision happens at trial um, is what? It's driven by emotion. Mm -hmm. It's driven by a visceral need to either get back at this person or win some something, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some vague and amorphous win, as opposed to thinking clearly, thinking logically, and thinking with good judgment about what I need, Mm -hmm. and most importantly, why. Mm -hmm. So the winners in the courtroom do not win by arguing, but rather they win by persuading. And persuasion is much harder to do Mm -hmm. and requires more help in thinking logically. I would say self-control, too. Self-control. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Yeah. There are some women that I hear say this, and tell me if, if you've heard it, too. I want him to give me X. And it's almost like they're talking that these marital assets that they've accumulated together, whether it's 5, 10, 20, 30, even 40 or 50 years together as a married couple, um, that they're his if, if again, she stayed at home and, and maybe didn't earn or didn't earn as much and maybe didn't accumulate as much from her income. Do you hear that too? And, and how do you take the emotion out of that because mm-hmm. there is that feeling that I see some women almost like they don't deserve they, mm-hmm. they feel like in their core they don't deserve that money it's his mm-hmm. excellent point and that was actually my mistake number three. Oh my god We're that, re- that I'm I, reading your I'm, mind mm-hmm. okay so tell me more about that and, and how can that get in the way of making good decisions mm-hmm. a little history to that So the reason that many people who are facing divorce believe that the person who has title to the property or the person who has earned the income um, is the person who is entitled to get that property or income as a result of a divorce. And so in fact, generally speaking, that was true until really not that long ago. That's amazing that it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long. So in New York State, back in the early 80s, there was a huge ideological shift in legal thought about the marriage. And there was a shift from um, title and ownership and who earns the income to what we now call, and I'm sure your clients have heard this and everyone in the legal world knows this, um, to what we call equitable distribution. Mm -hmm. Equitable distribution means what is a fair distribution. No longer does it matter whose name the property is in. 
generally speaking, anything that comes in after the date of marriage before divorce is now marital property subject to a fair distribution. And so there's a reason why women think that that's true because their mothers and their grandmothers who may have been divorced had that story. The story has changed. So to your question, big mistake that many women make, do not assume that your spouse is entitled to something just because he earned it or just because his name on is on it. More importantly, in my opinion, <clears throat> don't assume that your spouse knows more about finances or knows more about property or managing finances just because he happened to have been the one to earn it. Women are very intuitive. Women in traditional marriages that manage the home just because somebody earns the property or the income doesn't mean that he's entitled to it. And again, even more importantly, you're not being given, quote, something. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is not your husband being a nice guy and giving you money to eat or providing shelter for your children. Back to my point, equitable distribution is a fair distribution. You are a partnership. Marriage in New York State is now viewed as what we call an economic partnership. So this is not a handout. This is not an entitlement. This is not something that you have to beg, borrow, and steal for. This is your legal right. Mm -hmm. I love that you share that. And it's so powerful because I will see on both sides, uh, particularly around retirement, he can't have my retirement. That's my retirement account, even though it was earned during the marriage and vice versa. She's not entitled to my 401k. That's mine, even though, again, it was earned during the marriage. So really powerful. What I'm hearing as far as some of these mistakes, um, the first one that I'm, I'm truly hearing from you is that you want to make sure that you understand what all the finances are and that just because he earned it does not mean that it is his. He's not necessarily being a good guy by giving it to you. It is your right. Also, not having the mistaken belief that just because he earns the money means that he's an expert about the way it's invested or what to do with it. And, and I see this a lot of times. In fact, I have a couple clients whose husbands still manage their investment portfolio because they, in their mind, view them as the expert. And sometimes it's not a bad thing, but sometimes... Um, you know, we, we had one client who had 80% of their holdings in Korea. Um, you know, obviously that's a pretty tough place to have a lot of your holdings in right now. And she thought that her ex-husband was, was brilliant and wanted to keep that. So 
you know, that isn't necessarily a, a great allocation for her. Maybe he's comfortable with that risk, but you know, what about, you know, what about for her? So those are some of those, those big red areas that you are, are concerned about. Anything else that you would want to, um, you know, talk about as far as either mistakes or, or words of wisdom, um, particularly of how you separate the emotions from making good good decisions. Yes, Stacy. Um, I would say that because of the emotional trauma of divorce, we again as women tend to be a little bit more emotional and because of that we may say things we may do things we may act in ways that defy who we are and i've seen this over and over again where in my mediation practice things will come out that 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 women didn't even know they were capable of saying things that that are somewhat nasty and what i would say is Forgive yourself, understand that this is a suspended reality in some way, and that we, as women, and I've seen women, again, in my mediation practice, who, um, they're just not sure of their footing. You know, they're just on quicksand. They've behaved a certain way their entire lives, and then all of a sudden, they're faced with a crisis, and one doesn't really know until one is in it how they're going to react and i would say sometimes we're not i see women who aren't proud of the way they behaved and i would say but that you know what forgive yourself Mm -hmm. forgive yourself for that it's a way of trying to find your footing and if you slip and fall that's okay that's okay Mm -hmm. conversely i would say there are women who surprise themselves with the strength and the intuitive wisdom that they bring into the room that they never thought they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is have compassion for yourself. I mean, if you think about it, what would you say to your best friend? if she confides in you that she sent a text message to her ex about XYZ using, you know, this, this F word and that whatever, you would say, you know what, we're going through a lot. And yeah, it's not great, probably don't want to do it again. But you would have compassion, and you would be there to support her. But we don't do that to ourselves. In fact, sometimes we are, are, are really really quite mean to ourselves. We hold ourselves to a standard that we would never hold someone else to. But do you have any techniques to help your clients stay stay away from that, you know, texting, um, especially if they feel like they are being baited along? Mm-hmm. Particularly with regard to the... <clears throat> with regard to the finances. So we typically see these texts and and this kind of nasty behavior when it comes to the relationship between the spouses or when it comes to children. Um, Again, the, the point of today's conversation is to recognize that the texting and the nasty back and forth does not serve the women well 
mm-hmm. if they are going to get a fair financial settlement. And again, conversely, a, a bit of advice would be when when we as divorce specialists see women doing something that is um, really helpful in the negotiations, where they have come in with a well-reasoned statement about what they need financially for themselves and their children, um, to actually take note of that and say, you know what, not only should you forgive yourself for sometimes not being, you know, some bad behavior sometimes, but give yourself some credit mm-hmm. for doing something very wise and and acting in a way that is really in your best interest. And the other important point, Stacy, that I'd like to bring to your guests today is that in my experience, women can be dispassionate if they have that soft place to fall in terms of their divorce team. And mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? I mean their financial advisor, such as the work that you and your team does. So in the midst of that negotiation, the woman can can cannot can control that urge to be instinctual and to fight. And because she may be hearing your calm advice in the background. She may have her spreadsheet of financials in front of her. So she doesn't need to mm-hmm. resort to the to the primitive actions of emotions mm-hmm. because she has you and your team there where she'll think it in her head and she'll say, wait a minute, I'll, I'll save that for Stacy. I'm going to save my feelings and thoughts of anger and I'll talk to Stacy about it. But in the meantime, I know that I have a well-written statement here about what I need financially because Stacy and her team have helped me put that together. And so having a support mm-hmm. system who is who are passion, compassionate mm-hmm. is the yep. way for us to help women be dispassionate. And that's yep. really the point here. Yeah. As a social worker, I know how to provide compassionate care to my clients. And so they have that. They have that support mm-hmm. so that when it's showtime, they're on, they're dispassionate, and they can get the job done much more effectively. Yeah, and efficiently, and efficiently. Mm-hmm. I, I love how you bring up the team approach because the the research that we did uh, over this last year, so many women said that they wished they had a team, and a team of different professionals interdisciplinary between a financial, maybe an accountant, obviously a lawyer, and and someone such as a, a therapist. We also heard from them is that the more prepared they were, the more information that they had, just like you said, that listing of their financials, of what they really need, um, that they came to that negotiation feeling much more composed, much more comfortable, knowing exactly what they were asking for. And it helped take helped take the stress off. 
I love um, that. I love that word composed. That yeah. that's a perfect word that I think your guests should latch onto. Yeah. Being composed is is essential mm-hmm. to getting what you need yeah. in a divorce settlement. Important. You talked about something that I want to make sure we get to because time is flying. You talked a little bit about compartmentalizing. Yes. Um, so yes. that so, sounds great, Deborah. Yeah. How do we do that? And and what do you mean by compartmentalizing and, and what parts? In my mediation practice, I give my couples a decision checklist. And there are three main areas. There is parenting. There is support and there is division of property. So that's the big picture. And so that is how we as a divorce support team have to explain to women that these three big ticket issues must be treated differently. We cannot lump them all together. It is inevitable, in fact, it is probably preferable to negotiate a custody and visitation and a parenting schedule with your soon-to-be ex-spouse from an emotional, really from an emotional standpoint. How can you not? These are your children. These are parenting. It must be driven by emotion. There is no judge on the face of the planet who is gonna know your children the way you do. This is a purely emotional issue. Judges are um, have to rule according to the legal standard of best interests of the children. I don't know exactly what that means. Do you? It is. And they don't even know your children. It is deliberately vague because judges do not want to get too far into how parents raise their children. So that piece of a divorce must, to some extent not be driven by vindictiveness or anger, but emotion that inevitably comes with being a parent. Then you have the support, right? Then you're going into that financial piece. There's calculations. There are maintenance calculations under the law and there are child support calculations under the law. And I deliberately said the support issue second, because this is almost a hybrid of an emotional and a uh, dispassionate topic. Because on the one hand, the law does provide with a, a an objective formulaic approach, mm-hmm. but that's the starting point. It's guidance. That's the yep. starting yep. point. That is the statutory starting point at which time the couple looks at their expenses, they look at what the kids need, they look at what they need. So so that requires a little bit of a hybrid approach of emotion and dispassion. Then you get into the property distribution. There should be nothing emotional about that. There should not be. I'm not saying there isn't, <laughs> but there should not be. And so that is what I am refer- that part of the settlement is what I'm referring to when I say approach it dispassionately. These are objects. These are not your children. Okay. And so I think to answer your question, I think beginning 
with looking at a divorce settlement in those three large arenas is the way to start to compartmentalize the divorce process. Mm -hmm. And within each of those arenas, there are several sub issues that have to be addressed. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the way to start. Yep. So what I'm hearing is essentially three different compartments here. There's the compartment of the children. There's the compartment of maintenance and, and child support. And then the compartment of equitable distribution. And I I so honor what you're saying about particularly that area of having dispassion. I've I've seen settlement agreements completely disintegrate because one of them wants the crystal chandelier and won't budge and the other one wants it too the crystal chandelier might be worth ten thousand dollars which sounds like a lot of money but not when you look at the fact that they are splitting up three million so it's really amazing how there can be that emotion exactly to either an object or the retirement account or a certain stock. Um, really interesting of, of how that can cloud our vision, almost like you're putting on glasses that have blinders on them. Exactly. There is emotion attached to children. There should not be emotion emotion attached to chandeliers. The fact of the matter is that this marriage is unwinding and there has to be a way to apportion the property. Mm-hmm. And if, if one or both of the spouses start attaching emotion to tangible objects, yep. then this is where the red flags come up and we as mediators and financial advisors have to catch that and take note of it and alert our clients to the fact that if they keep going down that road, they will end up in litigation. I don't know anyone who wants to be in litigation. And here's here's really the, the takeaway here. At the trial level, a judge is not interested at all in an argument about one's emotional attachment to a chandelier. A judge is not going to award a chandelier because one person is more emotionally attached to it than the other. This is what our clients need to understand when they go down the road of fighting and, and litigation. And if we can at least point out to them where the emotion is appropriate in the settlement negotiations and where it doesn't serve them well, then I think we've done our job. Deborah, I can't thank you enough. And and what I'm hearing you say, a a picture that's coming to me, an image is that you have guide rails and that your role is also to help your clients stay on those guide rails roughly through all of these different decisions and be able to alert them when they might be potentially making a mistake that will hurt them because they're not in the right frame of line. Um, well put, exactly, yeah. that's exactly. And, and I'll just throw this out there too, um, as we finish up, self-care is so important. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest, coming to this podcast today, 
I was really nervous. Um, I'm so not now, but mm-hmm. I was I was really nervous, and it was a really busy day for me, and I didn't. I didn't have the uh, time that I normally do between meetings to just kind of get ready and compose myself. And what I hear from women over and over again, part of that being able to compose themselves is is that actually self-care, that self-care of giving themselves time um, before a meeting to really you know, get themselves ready. Um, maybe it's going to yoga as well, um, making sure that they're eating healthy because this is emotional no matter what it's just how you decide to deal with those emotions when and where that is going to make such a big difference such a big difference Mm -hmm. through this process Mm -hmm. exactly and when you're in the negotiation when you've got your soon-to-be ex in the room or you're in the courtroom you're exactly right you need to eat well you need to sleep well easier said than done yeah but let's let's offer that as a piece of what we do for our clients and one other thing if if we have a moment please do um to your point about taking care of yourself i think it is not only critically important to day by day do something even if it's a 30 second meditation to do something good for yourself and what I tell my clients who are struggling through this is to take a moment if you can and formulate a picture in your mind of what you want to be when this is over what do you want to look like what do you want to feel like Mm -hmm. where do you want to live what do you want to have surrounding you actually write the script have the picture in your mind and use your support team your financial advisor your therapist coach whoever whoever you have taken on board use them to help you reach that goal because if you have a goal in mind if you have a i hate to sound metaphor (laughs) using a metaphor but if you can see that that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, then it's a little bit easier to sit through a tough negotiation. If you know it's going to end and you have an idea of how you want it to end and Mm -hmm. keep that focus. Deborah, great advice, great advice. And I can't thank you enough for being here. How do our listeners uh, find out more about you? Can you maybe uh, share your website and um, also any other contact information that you might want to share with them? Sure. Um, Your guests can find my website at uh, dlmdivorcemediation.com. And I focus my practice primarily on divorce mediation. And... um, I help, again, I help couples find peaceful, to the extent possible, solutions to what I know can potentially be very adversarial proceedings. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for several years now, and um, the agreements can be tough, but when I have the couple in the room and I guide them through the process, they do come out of it yeah. with, with quite successfully. 
thankfully. And what I love is in your practice, um, it's been it's been shown that mediation is an approach that really has the least amount of collateral damage both on the individuals, but then also the children. And we often see mediation um, divorces being able to speed along more quickly mm-hmm. um, with, with faster resolution. Yeah. Um, also see that the cost, which, you know, if you're if you thought your honeymoon was expensive, well, bless getting divorced, as you know, is is sometimes and many times far more expensive than that. And that mediation, too, can cut down on those costs. So mm-hmm. it's a, a great, great place to look into. And there are some people that might feel like their case could never be mediated because he's a bully or because of X, Y, and Z. Um, And that may be true, but it may not be with the right mediator Mm -hmm. and the right expert independent counsel team outside, whether that's another attorney or or a financial. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just so respect you. And I'm really happy that we talked about this topic because it is so key. It is so key and but also hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Well, thank you, Stacy. And Stacy, for our listeners, how do they reach out to you? Thank you, Steve. Uh, actually, it's really easy. You can visit our website, www.francisfinancial.com, or you can email me, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. The one thing I will tell you, the Francis, my that is spelled F-R-A-N-C-I-S. And I'm just going to tell you kind of a funny story here. Uh, so my last name, Francis, um, is my husband's name. I, I took his name uh, when we got married. And I learned at that time um, that my mother-in-law, her name, Francis Finan- Francis, Francis um, actually doesn't even have a middle name. So she is literally a Francis Francis. So uh, <laughs> kind funny. of a funny thing. And we always joke that uh, when she goes to make uh, airline reservations and things like that, that uh, people think that she's actually stuttering. Right. Uh, but again, as far as when you visit our website, it's uh, Francis Financial, F-R-A-N-C-I-S Financial.com. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time.